On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Yes's talk. Hi, and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Boca. Flaring on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends, J.G. Virgilio, Paul Zotter, Tom Corcoran, and Ken Gregory, as we continue on with the Yes Catalog. This episode, covering talk... note this palaver on talk was actually recorded as part of a marathon session where we covered talk keys to ascension keys to ascension 2 and open your eyes so some of the introduction may be somewhat disjointed all right gentlemen welcome to the palaver this evening so in talk we have the the end of of the trevor rabin era if you guys are okay i would like to maybe go through the official particulars here and then we can just sort of open the floor up and, and go where we want to go. Oh, maybe maybe the background real quick. Okay, 1994 through uh, 1997 is a huge chunk of time. And we've already done it, starting with Brave and, and other albums. So we could probably just, you know, go through the uh, essentials uh, pretty quickly. Progressive rock during this period... Is, is 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 partially wonderful for us but it's foreboding as progressive rock dissolves before our very eyes um <laughs> 1994 <laughs> yes as talk simultaneous with marillion's brave we are thrilled uh pink floyd had the division bell um queen's had promised land so i guess they, they they were still in the game you could say uh porcupine tree is just ripping in this period as well as Asia has uh, Aria, L- lots of things are happening in 1994. Um, we're not actually discussing a 1995 album tonight, but uh, Marillion's Sunlight must be mentioned. Um, it, 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 it's really okay. Porcupine Tree is, is productive. King Crimson even has something. Pink Floyd has Pulse. All sorts of things are going on. And then 1996. Okay, Russia has Test for Echo, um, which we're not necessarily too thrilled about. Um, uh, Who isn't Fox thrilled about it? <laughs> <laughs> me? Me? <laughs> oh, man. A por- porcupine tree is just rocking. They, they, they can't have a year go by without releasing something. Now this is uh, 96 uh, Keys to Ascension. Um, just, just, just pretty good. Asia has Arena. It, it, it's, it's still happening. So, so 97 takes us to Keys to Ascension 2, plus Open Your Eyes. <clears throat> and at this period, um, Queensryche, here in the now frontier, they, they've totally jumped the shark. Mm. And Genesis, <laughs> Genesis has Calling All Stations, which you could say is, is jumping a different kind of shark. Uh, Porcupine Hey, hey, one. you slow that roll. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Um, that album has Jay's cousin on it. Wow, <laughs> uh, proverbial cousin. We oh, believe. sorry, different Virgilio. 
Yeah, yeah. not related. Yeah. But Nick DiVirgilio will get his due in the progressive palaver if I have my way. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you guys get the idea. Um, uh, a very interesting time, 94 through 97 for progressive rock. All right. And as we talk about yes in particular, so we first up we have talk which was released in March of 1994, produced by Trevor Rabin and released on Victory Music, featuring the 90125 lineup of John Anderson, Trevor Rabin, Tony Kay, Chris Squire, and Alan White. Interesting point here. If we look at Tony Kay on the Wikipedia, he is credited with Hammond organ and piano. But if we look at the actual CD booklet itself, he's only credited with Hammond organ. That becomes somewhat important when playing the game of find Tony K in this album. <laughs> the track listing for talk is The Calling, I Am Waiting, Real Love, State of Play, Walls, Where Will You Be?, Endless Dream, featuring the three parts of Silent Spring, Talk, and Endless Dream. How many times have we discussed how bad an idea it is for one or two of the members of this band to hide away from everyone else and take responsibility for composing most of the music? Oh, yeah. I mean, that is a recurring theme, Paul. We've said it a lot, and I and I think the bookends of these uh, of this of this discussion is flawed by by those those that that issue. Talk with Trevor Rabin, John Anderson. Open your eyes, which with mostly Chris Squire and Billy Sherwood. So I'll just throw that out there to, to kick things off. There's a certain redeeming karma with John Anderson and Trevor Rabin bonding and building this friendship. It feels good. I agree. Okay. It's not an amazing album, but, but, but for the history of the band, it does mark a, a nice little turning point. Well, and you know, I, I, you know, we, we've talked at length, about you know sort of the the relationship the 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 working relationship between John Anderson and Trevor Rabin you know the the magic that happened with 90125 and the failure to capture lightning in a bottle twice with big generator John getting you know apparently butt hurt and leaving to form ABWH ABWH somehow inexplicably morphing into something that looked more like a 90125 band until you mash it all together and everyone kind of showing up to sing on each other's stuff. And so, yeah, I think, you know, Ken, your, your point is, is very well taken in that, you know, th there's a certain charm, if that's the right word yeah. to, to, to the, the story of, of John and Trevor locking themselves away in John's motel room somewhere in California with, you know, a couple of boom boxes, you know, Trevor was, was pushing the envelope here with the recording process and, and the production and how he was going to do it. And as we talked about with, um, 
you know, some of the other albums of this time, I, I think there wasn't an, an understanding of how to control this technology, you know? And, and I think, you know, some of, some of the, the ill will about talk comes from the fact that, you know, it's, it's a weird sounding record. I don't think there's a, a better way to say that. Well, I don't know that, I don't know if necessarily recording it to, directly to a computer um, has anything to do with the absolute like overuse of compression. Like, I mean, the guitars on the opening track, I mean that you almost can't hear them. There's some, there's so much compression on them. It's, it's, um, it's quite ridiculous. Um, but I, but I think it's interesting that it's one of the things that probably makes this record stand up. I think this record actually sounds really, really good. It, it is it a little different? Is it a, is it a little? I don't know. I, did you just say goofy? Um, I think it sounds really good. Like just just tonight, I was bebopping in between keys to ascension, open your eyes, and talk. And talk really sounds good in the in in the headphones. But um, you know, the whole album took thirty four gigabytes of memory, which is like. Which is like my phone now, right? <laughs> but I think, I think in, in um, 1994, I think uh, production was delayed for a short while while uh, Trevor and John um, saved up money for an extra Macintosh computer to hook it up to the, to the other ones that they were using. Um, actually, it was delayed because of an earthquake um, in 94. Um, but, the, you know, I... I I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to be distracted by the the um, the computer thing, particularly now because everything is done on a computer. So I, 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 I and and I don't want you to maybe misunderstand me, Paul. I'm, yeah. I'm not suggesting that the the medium of it being recorded like onto a computer had it. But, but as as I've read stuff and as I've heard things, and some of this may have come from our friends at the Yes Music podcast who are awash with with lore. You know, in, in this particular case, and we, we've talked about this before, as you get into digital recording, one of the things that you get is sort of unrestrained low end, which can sometimes be a little overwhelming. And I think that pops up here occasionally. But but correct me if I'm wrong, Trevor also went and did a whole lot of extra manipulation with the sounds that were recorded on the hard drive. Mm. So it's not like you would hear things as you normally would Trevor had the ability and apparently took advantage of having, you know, these things in a in a medium where he could manipulate them in ways that were unusual. Interesting. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I think this goes back to what we were saying uh, when we were talking about Can't Look Away. I wonder if this, you know, this album almost became practice for film scoring and and Thing, things of that nature. I wish he would have done a little bit of extra computerized manipulation with the fucking bass tone on on the on the record because you know one thing that we have are too many Trevors and too many Johns in the vocals because that is one thing you get when you're using a computer, right? An unlimited number of tracks to record vocals on. Um. But where the hell is Chris Squire? Is what I would like to know on um, <laughs> on some of these some of these tracks. 
Um, sometimes he comes in real strong. He's got a really solid baseline and, and other songs, you're just kind of like, not sure if he's, if he was really there. And I, I read, I think I read on the wikis that he actually kept his distance because he was kind of stoked that John and Trevor were working so closely together. And he wanted to, you know, let that, let that go. 90125. It's done so well that you think yourself, wow, these are just pop songs. Oh, I can, I can do this. Um, you know, these are just, you know, three, four minute songs. And um, it's, it's obviously not easy. And you, you take the same people who try to make the magic again. You know, I, I'm not also not a big fan of big generator, but um, now we're talking about talk and you have the same elements but you, it's a it's, it's a disaster. I mean, it, it's it's really a disaster from from start to finish. And so, yeah, so let me, let me ask things. you a quick question. Let me ask you. So so, uh, Joe and I were talking on Sunday about Trevor's solo album "Can't Look Away," and one one of the things we talked about was I think I had mentioned how I always chuckle when I read things about Trevor Rabin, where they, they characterize him as the guy who basically saved yes from obscurity and brought them into the mainstream by bringing in his hit owner of a lonely heart and making them relevant again. And, and every time I read that I chuckle because I think of the original demo that we've all heard of right. owner of a lonely heart and realize while as much as he, you know, wrote that song and, and brought in this, terrific hook the song would never have we wouldn't even be talking about it if it wasn't for trevor horn and john anderson and everybody else's involvement in it so so like are, are you like would you agree with the statement that by this point in time trevor rabin is, is believing his own press and and saying yeah you know i don't need to work with any producer i can do this myself i know what i'm doing i'm i'm you know i wrote on over lonely heart yeah, I mean, it was probably you know what uh, George Lucas did when he, we, we were uh, we were subjected to oh, episode one, go. two, and three. It's just flipping hard to do. I mean, it's just I mean, you had nine one two five. I mean, songs like Leave It. I mean, it's not just you know one song. I mean, the whole album has. I hate using the word genius, but I mean, there's really um, there is genius there brought together in a certain situation. And you catch that magic in a bottle and you want it again. Mm. And you realize that it's just not one or two people. Um, like you mentioned, Paul, there's, it's Trevor Horn and it's, it's how things happen. And it's, um, uh, it, it's, you know, and, and we've seen it. I mean, big generator certainly isn't as bad as, as talk, but you know, we, we see how hard it was or so, sort of how the, um, downward spiral if you will started how how, how, how do you arrive that uh, i'm sorry did you say that talk is worse than big generator and it was a downward spiral from 90125 is that what you're saying yes yes i i think that um talk is is not as good as big generator Talk to me, Joe. Do you do you think talk is better so, than Big Generator? I, you know, it's it, it's so difficult to say. Um, 
I mean, if if you ask me which one I like better, I would probably pick Big Generator. But I I think I can appreciate what they were trying to do with this. And and you know, I think it goes back to what Paul said at the top, at the top of the episode. It, history has shown us in yes when two members score themselves away and write the majority of of an album it turns out less good than when all five people are are participating and you know i one of the things that's always made me feel a little uncomfortable about this and i've you know jokingly referred to it as the emasculation of Tony K in this album. I mean, he's not even credited with with keyboards on the album. He's credited with Hammond organ. And and like I said, you know, as as I've sort of come to appreciate the skills that Tony K has, and, and as I was listening to this album for this for this um, this episode, you know, it, it it I literally started to play a game with myself of trying to pick out where the Hammond organ was hidden in and amongst all of Trevor's workstation work, you know, because Trevor's programming his ass off all over the place. And I remember when we saw these, this tour in Nashville, I mean, Trevor Rabin has this screaming keyboard solo and, and Tony K gets like, you know, 20 seconds at the start of, of changes or whatever it is. To me, did did Trevor go a little over the top here and kind of swamp out, you know, maybe the rest of the band? Yeah, I think maybe he did. But that being said, I still think there are some there are some moments on here that I think are are really really exceptional. You know, I I, I have this sort of on again off again relationship with Endless Dream because obviously, you know, oh, it's a it's a fifteen minute you know long form song, so it's 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 a true piece of yes music. I want to say that John Anderson introduced it as such. I, I don't know if John Anderson says it's yes music that it is. I think it tries. I think it tries to be yes music. Yes, Paul. So John Anderson was on record back at the release of this album saying that Endless Dream was as good as any Yes song, putting it up with Close to the Edge and Awaken. Well, that's just crazy. I think he was just trying to sell records um, with that kind of talk. But I, I found that and I quote, I quote it. But I, I would agree. I, I do not. I, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Joe. Um Seems like you were about to say how it was maybe not a, a, a yes piece or a true yes piece or whatever that means. Well, I mean, I, I think it tries. What what I found surprising is, and I'd never heard this before. Now I've I've listened to this album you know for years and I've never really paid attention to it in this in this form, and I would have never expected to hear this. But there's a section in State of Play of all songs that is the most yes thing that ever came out of Trevor Rabin. Yes. Yes. I agree. (laughs) It's one of the the highlights of this album for me. It's the verse, right? With the acoustic guitars. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When you listen to it, you're like, this is yes music right here. Oh, my God. when when you think of state of play with that with that goofy opening, and oh. and you know that that wretched guitar sound or whatever the hell that is, you wouldn't think that. And so that 
why I, I don't know why I never paid attention to it, but it was like I was driving down the road and suddenly I was hit with a brick in the head. And it's like, there's your yes music right there. And it almost listen, seems like an accident. Yeah, listen to that bad boy in the headphones because one of the things that are that's that's really fun about talk is despite all of the just ridiculous gang vocals that we're subjected to on all of these choruses during the verse when they have just regular vocal harmonies it's really spot on most of the time so in the calling but particularly in state of play the the vocals in the verse are just stellar and it's definitely one of the highlights but it also i think highlights the whole point of us talking about how there needs to be more people involved. There needs to be a producer because at some point in time, someone needs to be able to say, Hey, Trevor, listen, that whole like ambulance uh, siren <laughs> thing that you got going on with the guitar. It, it's cool at the beginning, but that's all we need. We can do something different during the rest of the song because it, once you get past the verse, you're just you're just kind of left with it reminds me of it can happen uh demo right wonderful yeah. um wonderful chorus terrible verses right it just you know it's only it's only part way there and there was nobody there really course correcting them um to 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 make something better i inexplicably love this album i i i i i realize it's an almost indefensible position and i fully hear and appreciate you know a lot of the the comments and points that tom has made regarding it over the last couple of weeks and i just have to say i don't care yeah i you know i i, I want to share because joe i i wonder if this is part of it for you too because i think at this point in time you and i were very much in in a similar place when it comes to yes um you know, for me, I was so excited when this album came out because I had I had gone through such a long, like many years at this point, um, almost seven years of sort of a discovery of this band. And with each album and each tour, I saw almost every every tour twice once Big Generator came out. And with each tour, I was introduced to more and more of Yes. You know, first, the, just the regular classic Yes with Big Generator. ABWH really got me into Close to the Edge. The Union Tour really opened my eyes to um, going for the one. By the time Talk came out, I really had, I, I think, a pretty good breadth of knowledge or, and, and appreciation for all of the Yes catalog at this point. And... So I, I was just so excited to have new yes and so into what, you know, they were, you know, I, I was so bought in to the idea that, okay, the Trevor Rabin yes is putting out an album. And so a lot of the stuff that we kind of are complaining about now, back in 1994, I, I just didn't, I am with you. I just didn't care. It didn't bother me that you can't even hear the rhythm guitar track in the chorus of <laughs> the calling because there's so many vocals going on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that was like the frame of mind that I was in, you know, in that in that time. And I loved Endless Dream. I thought it I thought it was fantastic. And I can barely listen to it now because it just to me seems so disjointed. And um, and the and the end sounds like a lullaby. It just it just is just not something that I appreciate as much. So um, 
it hasn't stood, stood the test of time, but it, I still, I think when I listen to it, I still tap into that sort of youthful joy that I had when, when it first came out. Well, this is interesting because, I mean, there's a lot of really great live albums and, and clips from, from concerts. And I think it was Ken who um, put up the clip from you uh, and it was John Anderson and Trevor Rabin. And they were singing a song from Union and the uh, the cut from the album was yeah. I just couldn't even listen to it. I mean, it was just unlistenable. But that record, that live version was beautiful. I mean, because you, I mean, you, when you strip down all the nonsense, all the reverb and the bells and the whistles and the this and the that, and you just see these guys on stage and they're working off of one another, and you really hear the harmony there. Um, you say to yourself, wow, that's actually not a bad song, but it's very hard to get around some of the production. So, I mean, I know now we're talking about talk. Um, there's the same thing on, on, on talk. So I'm sure we could find some, some, some live tracks from the tour and we'd realize, wow, you know, maybe talk isn't that bad. Now, Joe, it seems like you like talks, but you know, I, I mean, for some of us who really, really don't like talk yeah. um we, we we might find that wow you know there's actually some some decent songs on here when you when you strip away all the you know pro tools stuff or you know in this case um you know digital performer or mark you know, of the unicorn tom i was i you should check out the demo version uh of, that's on youtube of the song walls from this from the from talk album because Walls was originally done with Roger Hodgson um, when Trevor was thinking of, of replacing John Anderson with, with Roger Hodgson. And um, I, actually, the, the, I think the version, the demo version is actually better than the final version that's on, that's on talk. And I mm -hmm. think Roger Hodgson is perfect for that song. Um, I, think he, I think the blend of their voices sounds better than, than with John Anderson. So check that out. Okay. Will do. Yeah. Talk has weird production. Um, but I am waiting. I'm um, surprised you guys didn't mention this. Uh, was resurrected. Uh, very beautifully. By Anderson. Uh, Rabin Wakeman. ARW. They do a great job. And I'm a big fan of the song now. But the album version is a little wonky. The song itself is beautiful. You're right on, Ken. Well, I, I, I remember the first time we saw ARW and they did I Am Waiting. And, and it was like, they're doing this song? <laughs> Which, yeah. you know, but, but yeah, I mean, having seen that several times now, I can, I can totally see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, so, so so I was just going to say that's that's the best of the two man songs. I am waiting. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there was a um, I read something that apparently that song um, John and Trevor wrote fairly quickly. Like Trevor showed him the the melody line, and John Anderson, you know, just started coming up with things. And you know, the legend is is that the song was written, you know, in a couple of hours or whatever. And 
I think that's one of the reasons why um, they wanted to do it for ARW because it just it was a great thing. And I think you're right, Ken. I thought the, the live version was was something something else. It was really special. So so two things. One, when we talk about the tour, obviously one of one of the important facets of that was poor Billy Sherwood chained up at the back of the stage. He was, uh, I remember him being on, on some sort of a platform with a ramp and he was, I don't think he was ever allowed to come down the ramp and, and be with the rest of the band. I think one time he came most of the way down the ramp, but yeah. And the other thing I remember is he also played bass guitar on real love. So there were two basses going at that time for that song, which I just thought was, was totally cool at the time. But I would, if I saw it today, I'd probably think it was completely re- pretentious and over the top. I seem to remember dude was pretty out there um, <laughs> at the show. Comment like at one point in time, like a, and I think you've referenced this in earlier podcasts, Joe, and I don't know that we've ever explained it, but we're at this sort of indoor slash outdoor amphitheater in Nashville. And John is talking to the crowd, introducing a song and, and in the light, so, like this sort of moth flies by him, <laughs> and the light because the spotlight's on him, you know the it, the moth is like this like bright like little winged being that flies by him, and he and he just pauses it and he does his little whoo and says something to, <laughs> something to the effect of wisdom is like the golden dust on the wings of moths or something like that, and. uh yeah, it was he was he was pretty he was pretty whipped up that night. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really something. I, I I have to point back to the picture, one of the pictures of us from that trip. And I'm wearing my talk shirt and Paul, you're wearing the obligatory Gretchen Ghost in Nebraska shirt. Right. Because we knew how to represent back in the day. Yeah, we did. Oh, Wow. I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I have to say one more thing, and this is for everybody, but somewhat directed at Tom. Um, Tom, are you familiar with Trevor Rabin's solo album, Can't Look Away? I am not. I highly recommend you check it out, and everybody should check this out because, you know, basically what I told Joe, and Joe mentioned at the beginning that, you know, from when you consider Trevor, yes. The songs on Can't Look Away fit within the arc of songs of, you know, 90125 through Talk. And Can't Look Away fits very nicely in between Big Generator, uh, Union, and Talk. And and outside of 90125, my favorite Trevor era Yes album would be Can't Look Away. Hmm. So... You should uh, check check it out, and um, it'd be interesting to hear what you think about that. I will definitely check it out. I, I will definitely check it out. And check out our bonus episode where we discuss it. <laughs> I will. I yeah. will. So, so you know, yeah. Joe, talk or Tormato? Talk. <laughs> Paul. Yes. Same question. Yeah, I, I'm. I'd probably go with talk at this very moment. Yeah, oh. but more more on that later. Because more on that later. But yeah, I would have to go with talk today. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Progressive Palaver. We have very much enjoyed returning to the back half of the Yes catalog. And as always, we look forward to your thoughts and comments as we, the Progressive Palaver, help join you and the entire Yes community in celebrating 50 years of this spectacular band. You can reach out to us through the usual means of communication. We are available on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as ProgPala or you can search for us at Progressive Palaver, or you can email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. As always, Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on both iTunes and Google Play, and we are hosted on SoundCloud. Until next time, thanks for listening. I would say that um, owner of a lonely heart residuals can have a, a, a an, an impact. Lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very, very good friends, J.D. Virgilio, Paul Zotter, Tom Corcoran, and Ken Gregory. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you, Zotter? <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't know why I can't control myself. <laughs> 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 Every time I say that, you lose your it's shit, like, man. It's like this innermost immaturity that's so deep within me that just wants to come out and it can't. Right now. <laughs>